What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we read a wild story sent in from one of the listeners. I give a recap of my recent trip in search of giant sunfish, and we break down the shad spawn. Hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're coming at you. It's a Friday morning here in Arizona, and we've got the normal crew. Let's run around and see what's going on. Nick, uh, let's start with you, dude. What What's up your way? Good choice. I would start with me, too. Let's just get right to the, the entertaining side of this. Um, well, it's been, it's been all right. Um, been a good week. I'm looking at Rob smiling and nodding there and Rob normally has a hat on. And when he doesn't have a hat on, look at all that hair, man. I'm so jealous. This is beautiful. Old guy with hair. Dude. And it's so like white. It looks so nice, man. I love it. It's got like, not like white, like Betty white color hair, but like, seasoned gentleman like you look like a like the model for like a just for men or something i i'm envious dude look at this i got it's getting creepy though right now nick your hair's creepy rob (laughs) no his his compliments (laughs) (laughs) oh i can take it far weirder if you challenge me no we're good okay good good. props to you. you you have options man i would grow that thing out why not why not like a white mullet like a wallet because it just grows straight and i look like joe dirt wallet that'd be so tight you could like carve the sides let it flow a little bit like yeah i'm good on that exercise your options not all of us are follically blessed enough to explore options like that (laughs) let's let's move along okay yeah so anyways i had a great week man um you graciously invited me to go to havasu i alex probably didn't want me to come but i was still gonna just like show up and say what up just kidding but uh didn't get you would have loved it uh, yeah, I know. He's, he's cool. Um, didn't get to go fishing. I would say the only interesting thing that uh, has happened to me is that I am like way, way, way late to the party, like always. On Steve Ranella, I haven't really ever consumed much meat eater content. I've, I've only listened to a tiny fraction of one episode of a podcast, but his American Buffalo book surfaced in my life after I finished that last one. And Wow. Like I, I talked to you about this yesterday, Josh, Rob, have you ever read or like looked any, into that? I, I think of you all the time cause it's a hunting focused book, but it is badass. I've, um, I've, I've consumed a lot of his material, but not, um, I haven't read any of his books yet. So Dude. interesting guy for sure. Yeah. And like his writing style, I I'm practically divorced at this point because all I want to do is go read that book and hide in the closet from my kids. But it is like his writing style. You can't put it down. He, he can tell a story. He's smart. Like anyone interested, check out that book. It's badass. Have you already looked to see what other books he's got available? I have. Yeah. And he has like, it looks like maybe this is his first book. It's, it's a little bit older. It's from like 06, I want to say. 
And uh, the subsequent books are much more in, in line with kind of what I guess his content universe looks like as far as like the meat eater stuff. He has what looks like kind of like a cool pseudo cookbook, like um, how to prepare a game, which looks pretty interesting. But this is actually like the, as far as I could tell, the, the book that he's written that isn't in that world, more focused just on like this rare exclusive hunt that he got to to take a, a buffalo in Alaska and like pretty much the only remaining wild um, herd of buffalo and story is like, it's good. He can, he can spin a yarn and then he talks about just kind of like what the American buffalo has been and, and the, the plight that it went through and the rebound. And uh, it's cool, man. If anyone's looking for an audio book while they're driving around waiting for our next episode to drop, check it out. And then if you're old school and like physical books, pick it up. It's, you won't regret it. It's badass. So dude, you should do, you should write a book about your Mexico trip and people will be talking about your Mexico trip just like this. Hey, <laughs> thank you. I, uh, I, I don't think I, I'm not even like the ST in Steve Ranella when it comes to the ability to tell a good story. That guy is a stout, but I think there's a new Mexico 2.0 trip in the works, a little cliffhanger there, but, uh, I, I scented the slightest hint of a hall pass from my wife. We're going to spend the whole month of June in Mexico with my wife's family since it's summer break for our kids. And, uh, uh, I, I got a gentle sprinkling of an offer since she has helped supposedly with the kids that I can, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Baccarat this time. So we'll see. She's taking it to the next level. Heck yeah. But I do. I got to compensate. What's Baccarat like in, in, in June? Hot. Uh, it's, you like, know, it's, it's lovely. It's about 173 for a high. Yeah. It's gotta be rough, man. A little humid. Fishing's gotta be good. But, um, I think a lot of folks go down there like what, December, January. Yeah. I think so that's, June would be interesting, but well, I would imagine those fish would get offshore in big groups and be phenomenal. Dude, you yeah, want to hear it yourself. Yeah. You hear a depressing statistic. Guess what the water capacity at Bacharach is currently no idea eight percent oh wow so uh, what i mean what has it been at what has it been at the in the past i mean is that normal or is it much higher yeah yeah sadly i think mexico is just experiencing their version of what the southwest has been experiencing in this drought i mean like lake powell is at what 36 percent capacity it's just i think that whole drought is just trickles right over the old international line and continues on so well pal and mead i mean there's just a state to the left of us that just sucks those dry they consume some and water and we've just been continue dry. to what's yeah. that and we've just been dry too though if yeah. you look at the drainages of that so i think it's just seasonal hopefully you know that could change but it would be it'd be sweet to go there yeah it'd be fun that'd be interesting heck yeah i i think the two of us are, are excited to hear about it, and the listeners must be too, man. Your, your trip down there last time was one of the biggest hits we've ever had. So, um, Thanks, man. They're saying, you know, I had heard last week that we're supposed to have – a. it's just, you know, it's monsoon season. We don't get a lot of our, our water in our lakes from monsoons, but they're mm -hmm. saying it's going to be a good monsoon season and a bit of a more mild summer. So, we'll see about that. Dude, yeah, we, we need it. We, we need yeah, a go good ahead, monsoon man. just to uh, – Help the wild, you know, the game up north. So yeah. deer and no elk kidding. and whatnot. So dude, when's the last time you remember a monsoon storm? It's been like two years since we've actually had well, a we monsoon didn't get any season. This summer. I think no. it's been two years. Yeah, our, so right here where I live in northeast Mesa, the uh, there's a bunch of really good mountain bike trails. And 
every year during the monsoons, those trails will get changed a little bit from what we call a gully washer, which is just a good monsoon rain. They have not changed in two years. So we have not had a good rain here in, in over two years, just locally, which rain in the valley isn't what we need. We need it up in the mountains, but it's just, it's pretty crazy that it's been that dry here. The dry so, pattern for sure. For sure. Yep. So anyhow. What's Rob, up with, what's you, up with Rob? you, Dude, you, just, you finished the, the series we talked about last week already. I did. Yeah. <laughs> that Dude, I got hooked on the uh, drive to survive and what an interesting deal. Um, I'm just blown away. I, I guess I never really knew anything about Formula One. Did not realize there was only 20 drivers. Um, what is there, essentially 10 teams because there's two drivers per team. I think so, um, yeah. And I'm absolutely blown away with the – I think this is the right verbiage, the lack of parity. Is that correct? Like the number one team is like so dominant. I mean, it's uh, like Jacob Wheeler on steroids dominant. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, dude. It's Lewis Hamilton and he's with the the Mercedes team and they, they just win everything. So first place isn't even first place anymore. It's like, uh, I think third is what most of the other teams consider first place. Because uh, it's Mercedes, is it Ferrari that's second most of the time? It or was forever. It varies, and I think they started to struggle, especially like in twenty twenty. They really kind of yeah. uh, And that Red Bull team has been uh, has been yeah. Really, Red Bull is really, phenomenal. Really well. They have and they have they're odd because they have two different teams. So they have like a, I guess they call it their starter team, and then their I mean, if you if you could have a starter team in F one, I mean that is some pretty high end racing, but. Uh, yeah, I was just blown away with how they celebrate ninth place finishes or fifth place finishes. I mean, they like where in what other sport do they do that? I mean, in bass fishing, we'll celebrate a ninth or a fifth, but you're going against a hundred other guys, two hundred and fifty other guys. Um, you know, that's a pretty stellar finish. But when you have a field of twenty and you're just ecstatic about finishing fifth, just blows my mind. So very interesting, huh? It's yeah, like it the is. There are like seven teams that literally feel like they have no chance to win. It takes like an act of God. <laughs> like there was one one of the races in the show where there was a surprise winner, but like Hamilton had been like penalized and there had been like a big wreck and like the stars had to align perfectly and he almost won by default. Yep. Yeah. That's what and there it takes. Yeah, there was a couple mid tier teams that won a couple races throughout the series. Um, and it was, you're right. It was just a circumstantial situation. It just, it just set up to where it was, they just won because, you know, there was one of those top teams did something wrong, but yeah. yeah. And I mean, Josh, you and I talked about it just a number of DNFs, um, the cars blowing up and, uh, I the mean, they're so, so crazy. And these yes. dudes, they're so protected in those cars. Like yeah. and accidents have happened and people have died. But like, so, so there's one aspect, I, one aspect I want to talk about, but I can't because I know you haven't finished it. So I don't want to blow it for you. Oh, really? It's in like the last couple episodes? Yeah, it's, it's pretty mind boggling. No so, way. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty, excited. And it's a guy you and I had talked about. So I got to finish now, dude. I've yeah. got to finish. <laughs> I'm, I'm going out of town tomorrow. I've got three more episodes. My wife's. My wife's going to want to spend time. I'll be like, uh, let me finish this. <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> yeah. So. You can watch cool, this man. with me if you want, honey. Yeah, exactly. That's cool, yeah, too. Not, I, 
as sorry, Rob, as a car guy, you know, F1 never has crossed my, it's kind of like how in America, you know, we're all like hockey or football or like baseball fans, but then the entire rest of the world are soccer fans. And then we're just like completely clueless. That's how I feel formula. It's like, Oh, I like drag racing, which like nowhere else other than Australia that exists. But then that circuit goes to like eight countries every year. Right. Or something. Yeah. And that's another thing I, uh, I told Josh, it's very, very like much like soccer. Um, the other thing that's mind boggling is a lack of loyalty. Yeah. I mean, these drivers will jump from team to team. The teams have no loyalty on the drivers. They'll, they'll drop guys and pull guys from other teams. It's, it's such it's a small a block. Oh dude, it's, it's gnarly. And, and how they get there is through the, is it the F3 and then the F2, uh, it's like their minor league system, right? Oh. And those drivers basically have to pay for those teams or pay to drive those cars um, personally or with sponsors of, of, you know, personal sponsors of their own. So those guys are going from making absolutely nothing, paying to p- compete like a lot of bass fishermen do, to, you know, making millions and millions of dollars overnight, you know, so... When they but make again, the F one team, I saw Hamilton's right. contract was like fifty five million, but the majority yeah. of them are five plus million a year. Yeah, yeah, silly money. So, that would work. I could do and that. And all these guys, all these drivers have grown up together because they race go karts. That's the. So I mentioned to my wife, our uh, one of our grandsons, we need to get him in a go kart. So <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Man. I'm totally kidding because that's there's no way. You, the odds are so slim, but it's pretty wild. Yeah, you think it's hard to make a regular professional sport. Now you're going inter- <laughs> to an international sport. With 20 guys. Spots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I-, I wonder, and that's another stat. See, like, we, we know nothing about this, so we're complete. Extremely uh, qualified know. to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I wonder which country has produced the most drivers because there was a lot of uh, – they, they were very spread around. You got Australia yes. – uh, Germany. I, I don't know if there are even any Americans that are, uh, that are in it. Do you? Um, I know there has been, I, I can't, I, again, I, yeah. Yeah, okay. I can't speak intelligent. intelligent yeah, there's one or two listeners but... that really knows a lot about this punching his steering wheel saying these guys are idiots, but oh, yeah. anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on, but that is a, it's, it's, it's an addicting show. I'm glad to, you got, got to sit down and watch it, man. It there's helps so... when your wife's out of town. There's well, my wife was into it too, but oh, that's so cool, I, dude. I passed her up on the deal and just kept nice. going. But again, Rob just rubs it in our face. Yeah, I'm the worst. So like, I Netflix pretty much sucks as far as I'm concerned. I like, agree. but there's a handful of really good ones. My problem is when I get a good show, I blow through it and then I'm done. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Hey, right for on. all the listeners too, uh, big kegger at Rob's house until Wednesday. Yes. So anyone that wants to come over and watch, binge watch Netflix and drink kegs of craft beer, DM Rob. <laughs> bring kegs. <laughs> yeah, you need to bring the beer. Yeah, but how about you, Josh? You're the only one that actually bass fishes, and we're just. <laughs> Would you like to talk about well, some bass fishing for us, yeah. dude? And, and hey, I'm the one that bass fishes. I didn't even fish for bass hardly when I went oh. fishing this week. But um, yeah, so I'm leaving tomorrow to another tournament. But I got to go out to Havasu on Wednesday with our buddy Alex. And, uh, you know, Havasu is a special trip from Phoenix. 
it's a four hour drive. So I think a lot of folks that I, I meet back East assume to have a is like a super local lake for me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've grown up fishing it just like you guys have, but it's still, it's a special trip. I only really go there to fish tournament and, um, that's like once a year. So to get to go for fun is rare. We got to yesterday. So it was pretty cool. Um, uh, or I'm sorry, Wednesday. And you know, that seeing that world record sunfish kind of, lit a bit of a fire under all of us to to at least read into those things a little bit more and also we're right in the middle of the bluegill spawn a sunfish spawn so it was a great time to go over there and obviously not try to catch a world record i think that was uh you came uh, up just shy right didn't you go in those like six shy, seven like, or something like uh what's what was that record fish a six three yeah yeah we missed it by about five pounds but um, <laughs> Getting there. It, it, just to go like experience it a little bit was was something we wanted to do. So Alex and I ran over there. We got up at two o'clock in the morning, you know, did the did the marathon day, drove the four hours, got there about seven, and uh started on bass. Caught, you know, it was we had one of those starts that like just never happens in a in a tournament, rarely, man. I mean, the, the first 15 minutes we caught uh four really nice fish. Uh two big large mouth and two big small mouth and just bass fish for a few hours. It was, it was decent after that. Not nothing crazy, but decent. And we started poking around and, and knowing nothing about these sunfish, you know, we just pretty much were going to look for them on beds. We weren't going to go out and, and try to catch them pre or post spawn. And I saw uh, quite a few of the locals. You could tell they were sun fishing. They were in aluminum boats, you know, like deep V's nice ones guys from up north probably and, and they were doing some slow trolling and doing some some sitting out anchored out you know in some of these areas where the where they would be coming and going from the spawn but uh you know we weren't going to do that alex had picked up some night crawlers and i was just using a little you didn't buy the night set. crawlers right what's that you wouldn't buy night crawlers though, right? Alex dude, I was down, but I wanted crime. to see if Max Scent would work as well. And what's hilarious is it was, dude. It was just as good as the, uh, you know, when we actually got into them, it was about equal, which is amazing, dude. You know, comparing live bait. And I was just taking, I had a pack of critter hogs, which is like their little four inch creature bait, Max Scent, green pumpkin. I was just cutting pieces of it up. Like, I, you know, that I would cut one of the legs off and use the leg. I would, I would cut uh, the head off and, and, and just use a chunk of the head on the, on the hook. And, it, and they bit it like crazy. It was pretty funny. But uh, it took us a while to kind of figure out exactly what they wanted for spawning areas and stuff like that. And we ended up later in the, in the day getting up in the river and found, most, found more up there. You know, you'd go for a while and, not, and see one here and there, and then you'd find a cluster of 10 beds. Sometimes they were, all the whole cluster was empty. And then sometimes they'd all have bet, uh, fish on them. And you could tell it was, it was on the tail end probably of the spawn, just, ju just by the number of empty beds. And the other thing that was interesting was all the, like I've never really analyzed bluegill beds other than just trying to fish for bass around them, right? So you find the bluegill bed, there's bluegill around, and that's it. Like now it's, okay, let's, let's worry about the bass that are on these bluegill but I've never really analyzed the beds. And it was interesting that if you had an active bed with like, say there were 10 beds and there were 10 fish, you'd have 10 males 
perfectly sitting on each bed, but all of the females seem to gather together and hang out in a little school. Complaining about the males. What's that? And they were complaining about the males, right? They are all congregating saying like, well, he sucks. He doesn't do the dishes. <laughs> Probably, dude. <laughs> Hilarious. The males are just pouring their hearts out trying to, to guard the beds, and the females are com- are right or are, are complaining about them right in their faces, huh? <laughs> if I if Hilarious. I spoke bluegill, I would know. <laughs> so yeah, so, it was just weird that they would all like group together like that. So like, and the males were all very similar in size. Like sometimes you'd find a bed, and every male would be like, I don't know, the three quarters of a pound. And then uh, the one group that had some big females we found, the females were one to probably two and a half, three pounds. Like, I, I can't say that I saw anything that was like an absolute freak, like a five or six pounder. And it was hard to tell. Like, the biggest one we caught, Alex caught it. And I don't know how big it was, a pound and a half. I mean, that's a, it was a big sunfish. Not for Lake Havasu, but just in general. It was a in big general, sunfish. Yep. In the water, it didn't look very big at all. It didn't look anything like that. So looking back in the past, like after seeing that fish in the water and seeing it in the boat and looking back and remembering some of the random ones I've seen just on the main lake years past, like I've looked at a couple five pounders before and just not even really realized it with the, with that. But uh, are you going to say something, Rob? You look like you're ready to say something, man. Yeah. Are you, how, how were you catching them? Were you just like drop shotting? That's all we did. That's all we tried. Um, I'm sure you could have caught them a bunch of different ways, but I just had a, a small, like a number two drop shot hook with a, a four inch drop shot leader and just a chunk of max scent. And like I said, Alex had bought some night crawlers. It was hilarious. There were a couple times where we'd be doing that and a big bass would swim by, right? And dude, just out of, out of habit, I would try to cast my half inch of plastic chunk at them and they didn't they didn't care but that night crawler dude some of the bass alex caught some bass on that night crawler that were just cruising that would have been very difficult to catch and he'd throw that thing out there and they'd they'd swim over and eat it instantly that's awesome amazing amazing what live bait does do you think you could catch the sunfish on a fly rod absolutely yeah that'd be pretty cool yep it'd be a blast yeah, for sure. And also those females that were swimming outside, could you, was there a way to approach them? I mean, could you? You could catch them, dude. You could you catch could. them dang near as easily as the bedfish. Yep. Interesting. So okay. you didn't have to, unlike a bass, like, you know, when you find a female off the bed, but you know, it's relating to a bed, you need to get it up onto the bed and you need your bait to be on the bed to catch it. You could just cast to these female bluegill and sometimes you'd have to work for them. They wouldn't just instantly swim over and get it. But You'd see them getting competitive for it, you know, and and, and you, you knew when you were about to get one for sure. Yeah. That's fun, man. I remember in the, the glory years of my life fishing in like those urban communities and like golf course ponds. And I so remember like now looking back, they were bluegill beds and probably tilapia beds, but they look like moon craters, dude. There would just be like the nasty mucky bottom with no contour at all in those ponds. And then there would just be like pucks everywhere and just like little depressions in there. And we would just clean up on them, dude. We would throw mealworms and slip nice. floats over those things. And the sport was then just like downsizing your approach to the point where like it felt like a blue marlin. So we'd have like the tiniest, most pathetic, like 
little ice fishing rod and like one pound test line. And it, 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 I, I think fondly of that. So it's cool that you took it to the next level in a sweet new bass boat with like modern technology and still made some pretty cool sport out of it. I appreciate Well, it. yeah. I mean, it's funny, dude. It's, it, it, that's cool that you guys found that way to make it challenging and make it sporting. Um, you know, it was, I definitely felt like we were a little overkill clearly, you know, we're out there fishing for sunfish and, uh, in, in the nicest, you know, bass boat you can get and all that stuff. But, but, uh, it was still, it brings out that childlike enthusiasm. Oh yeah. And, and I, I chuckled, man, because that first real cluster of beds that we found, like we'd been kind of looking all morning and a little bit down cause we weren't finding it. And we were, you know, we were catching some bass in between, but it was just not what we came there for. Right. And then when we finally got into them, Alex was so giddy, <laughs> so excited. It was hilarious. And I was the same way, but it was yeah. just like, it would have been hard for a bass to get us that jacked just because we do it all the time. So doing something different in fishing is always fun. I still Go ahead, Rob. Every, every time I think of those sunfish at Havasu, I remember a fishing trip when I was a little kid. And I mean, I could have been, I don't know how old I was, but I remember it like it was yesterday, but we were on a lake in Minnesota. Um, we we're in a little aluminum boat. I don't even know who I was with, obviously my dad. And so I, I have no, no idea who else, but I think we had two boats. Uh, we got out on this big flat. You could see the bottom, there was grass and you literally could drop your, who knows what we were using, probably night crawlers drop it over the side and every time you drop it in you'd catch one and these are like hand-sized sunfish right so and we we had the little metal basket are you familiar with that with the little hole in the top you the oh, metal yeah. basket hangs over the side of the water boat. what's that the, the baskets in the water yeah in the water to put your put your sunfish in there nice. and we just cleaned house and <laughs> Maybe we caught two, maybe we caught a hundred. I don't remember, but it, to me, it felt like it was, and I still remember it. And um, to be able to have a lake close here in Arizona that, you know, people can take their kids and go do that. It's pretty cool. So very cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. They're just unsung heroes. And like, once you actually get one that's of decent size, even like a palm sized one, that was what I remember catching in those ponds. Once you downsize your tackle enough, like it'll put a bend in the rod and like they, they, they're nasty for their size. So a big one, like if you referenced a five pounder, Josh, that would be like, even on a spinning rod that you'd catch a bass drop shotting with, like, that'd be, that'd be a fight. <laughs> oh, it'd be unreal, dude. It'd be unreal. Yeah. Like it was, we were around toolies and stuff and, and, and a one pounder, yeah. I mean, it would take you up into the, into the <laughs> stuff, dude. Like you would have to get, get on it. it with light line. Like, yeah, it's, it, it was fun. I would definitely recommend it. If anyone lives in the, uh, you know, is lives in the Southwest and can get out there at some point, it's fun. I, yeah. I told Alex I wouldn't be making it a weekly habit going from Phoenix, but to get up at two a.m. <laughs> once a year, dude, I'll do that once a year every year for sure. It was fun. That's cool. Eight hours of driving. How many hours of fishing? The same. You yeah, know, we could have gone longer. Long day, that, I, honestly, I wasn't wiped out after. Like I've done that day trip and bass fished a bunch, you know, and it, it, if you fish till dark to justify the day, it kills you, dude. You get home at 11 and you are fried and Hey, that's cool. But I actually, I mean, we left at three, got home at seven and I was fine. It was yeah. eight hours was enough to justify the trip, but also not so much where it killed you. 
Mm-hmm. So, and doing so what, it with a buddy helps a lot too. Like that drive is, is, you know, eight hours of driving in the car by yourself also makes it feel a lot longer. If you got a buddy that you can chat with, it's, it's much better. I was talking with, with a buddy of mine about this and um, he had a great question. He said, how did those red ear get in Havasu? And what do you think makes them grow um, to obnoxious sizes compared to other bodies of water? Well, I don't know how they got in. Did you research that? No, I didn't. Okay. I, I was curious if you knew. Well, you know, I know that I did a little reading to, to, and we actually had a listener ask, like, if we could confirm why they grow so big. And um, I mean, the muscles, I think, obviously, it's, it's, it's very fertile water. There's good climate, there's, there, there's the right structure, you know, for those things to, to live and be successful all year in the water, there's the right cover and all, all those factors check off. But the big X factor are the muscles. And uh, apparently it's, I mean, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship between them and it, oh, it's not good for the muscles because they eat them, but it's good <laughs> for the lake because they keep those muscles relatively under control. And the reason there's so much, like the muscles are much more out of control. The zebra muscles we're talking about, quagga muscles on Lake Mead because there are not the red ears. There are not red ears. There are bluegill and the bluegill can eat them, but the, the muscles will grow in it. I'll grow the size that they can be eaten quickly. Whereas the red ear big enough where they can, the, the muscles are never too big for them to eat. And there just aren't as many bluegill per acre probably in Lake Mead as there are sunfish and bluegill in Lake Havasu. So it's much more under control and that and that's they, they apparently there have been some studies the mussels got into lake havasu i think around 2007 and they saw a massive boom from like 2009 to 2014 in the average size of the red ear it was directly related to when the mussels got in there so hmm. that was it, it makes a lot of sense what's what's their other forage what do they eat shad do they eat crawdads do they uh what is small children other than small children what do they eat shoot man they probably yeah french fries um (laughs) everything that people throw into lake havasu bread (laughs) dude they probably eat it all right thongs (laughs) (laughs) seriously it's you see you see some random stuff flip you see a lot of flip-flops and stuff especially like that down by the lake uh, london bridge i think they probably have a very specific diet of uh, human... bikini tops and <laughs> yeah. cigarette butts excrement who knows you know oh, it's, just, it's all all possible there for as crazy I... as that lake we're joking about that but for as crazy as that lake is man it's pretty clean like the shorelines aren't trashed and stuff like that it's it's a beautiful lake it, it's it a, really it's is. a special lake man i I told someone in a post I made that I think it's a top 10 bass lake in the country, man. And it's very underrated. It's not top three, but if you just look at the fishing year round, the opportunity to go out there and catch a, a four pound largemouth and smallmouth in the same day, like, dude, we fished for 15 minutes for bass <laughs> and we had, you know, 14 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Whatever did a three and a half pound average, uh, uh, you know, of, Oh, maybe four pound average almost of, of largemouth and smallmouth mix. Go ahead. Rob. Who's, who's responsible for the, uh, all, all the structure they put in there. Is it the city of Havasu? Is it Arizona game and fish? Another one, dude. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's Arizona game and fish. I because really, I mean, that's that lake that. alone is. I mean, we always complain in Arizona how they don't take care of our um, warm water fisheries. They care more about the trout up north yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, compared to like a state like Texas, where they're just. I mean, they really. That's their goal is to have great bass fishing, but Havasu is the complete opposite of any lake in Arizona, in my opinion, because I fished it back in the days when a two pound average was fantastic. And if you caught 12 pounds for five, you're really doing well. Um, and nowadays, I mean, if you don't have a three pound average, you're not even in the mix and then more than likely a four pound average is going to get you where you need to be. Yeah. You um, know, when fishing's really tough, the weights aren't spectacular, but when it's decent, like those weights, especially the, the depth that they go down, that's how you can tell you you're on a good fishery, right? Like, yeah. You see the, the top weight, you're not, you don't see a 30-pound bag because they're northern strain fish, but when 70% of the field has 15 pounds, yes, it's unbelievable, dude. Like that, yep. that is unbelievable fishing, and you only see that on the best Texas lakes at the best times, um, smallmouth fish, like up north. Like that's up north when, when you get on the best lakes like Champlain, uh, you know, St. Lawrence River, stuff like that. You see that. Yeah. My point is, though, is whoever, whoever did that, they basically created that. Um, and it's so cool. funny, like, like when, you, when you said, oh, it, it's such a fertile lake. I mean, when I fished it in the, you know, in the 90s, it was, it was sterile. It was just, it was not not a fish factory at all. Man, that's true, dude. That's true. So, so yeah, you think... Uh, well, I, and I say fertile, what it's got going is it's always got current running through it, right? So, uh, you know, that's... I'm, got, I'm not disagreeing with you, Josh, but I'm just saying, like, they created that from... You're totally right. You're totally right. A, a complete bare flat bottom lake to now there's structure everywhere. There's giant fish everywhere. It's, um, it's pretty impressive what they've done there. My point being is it could be done on other lakes too. So That is just, very cool and very true, man. Yep. that's the truth so it's props kind of, to whoever did that we should know we should know more about who did it but it's um they've just done a fantastic job with that lake for sure 100 percent. i agree there's your first 100 percent of the episode guys <laughs> well i bet now this we gotta week do a now, shot yeah that's right well i've been doing tons of them so i'm ready i and i'm sure hopefully our listeners will hook us up with the answer to that this week and then we can revisit it next week it always seems like we get a few steering wheel punches in every episode and then we get enlightened. So it's actually like a nice cause and effect. Yeah. Always, thank you guys. I always geek out on like when obviously all of these ecosystems are super artificial, right? Like we've displaced whatever was there before we got here as a society with like what we want to catch. So like we introduce bass, we introduce game fish and then like we try and make the fishery as best as it can be. So it's cool. Like those readier sunfish, end up taking care of what is a invasive muscle and then make the game fishing that much better. It kind of reminds me of like when gizzard shads land in places and wreak havoc and you know, like look at, I, this is my reference to like pleasant, which I fish like once a year. So it's stupid, but it's cool, right? Like the gizzard shad got in pleasant. Now there's huge striper swimming around. Like I saw another big ass striper that got caught on my social media feed last night. It's like, that's tight. Like, okay, this is a, problematic invasive species to what we want to catch and then there's another species in the lake that just like oh thanks this is like thanksgiving 
you know, dinner every day now. And, and then boom, like the largemouth fishing is, is improving in that lake. And it's just nice when stuff like that works it's out. It's nice when it works out because it goes the other every direction. Time it works out. Yeah. Five, five different lakes get ravaged by something else, man, that, that doesn't balance in. Right. Totally. So it's like a moment to be like, Hey, sweet. Thank you for actually working out for once. No, yeah, I wish I knew. I wish I knew how the gizzard shad got here. I mean, it had, it had to come in the hull of a boat or something. We need I Steve mean, Rinella to do that for us, dude. If you read American Buffalo and you look, that guy researches stuff to the point where like the first genetic mutation 71 million years ago occurred. And then he can chronologically tell you, like he could probably cool. tell you the length of the hole of the boat that carried the gizzard shad and the bilge pump and dumped it in at what day. Yeah, if you go that deep, it doesn't even have to be true. You'll just believe it. <laughs> no one's going to research that. You just cracked <laughs> Ranella's secret, dude. That's true. No one's fact-checking any of that crap in nope. that book. <laughs> Hilarious. I had a buddy tell me he thought the gizzards came in uh, as minnows. Ah, that's a good point. Valid. I have no idea. That was his there guess. No, I agree with that, too. And that's the classic why you can't use live bait in like states like Wyoming. They won't let you have like live minnows. Even if you catch them out of the lake, you're because who knows what they are, right? Exactly. Right. So yeah, that's a great point, Josh. hundred um, percent. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, Hey, this was, this is something we got from a listener and uh, Nick, did you end up replying to him? Not yet. I thought we would hit it in the episode. So apologies. Awesome. I usually am the one trapping the email. So if we don't directly respond an email, hopefully we're touching you in the episode. Yeah, and, of the show. and so so no worries. Yeah, huge thanks to uh, Ramsey. It was this is one of the best emails we've ever got, and we've been saving it all week. Just to, speaking of writing style, and Nick talked about it in our little group text. Like this guy's writing style is awesome on <laughs> the best uh, level ever <laughs> he's hilarious yeah he's he's hilarious and uh, we had asked if anyone had any crazy you know co-angler <laughs> stories or stories about riding in rough water with a buddy and this one definitely gets the nod this one has to be read on the podcast um it was funny i'll, I'll start from the top he goes and i'm gonna lose track halfway through and i'll have to pick back up but um we'll get we'll get through this Wow. I think it's three pages long. It looks like I wrote it. It's very long. Yeah. And I saved, I did not save the, the uh, screenshots in order. So you let's want me to here. knock that out? Cause I got the email easy. Do you have the email? Yeah, for sure. If you've got it, uh, that would be great. Cause I, I'm talented. trying to figure out where I it's almost as off. long as one of your Craigslist ads. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I can sell ice to an Eskimo. All right, here we go. How many of those vehicles did you ever sell off those ads? Uh, so the, the hooker with an Adam's apple white dually, uh, did sell and then the guy threatened to come back and kick my ass because a salvage titled 973,000 mile dually was not everything he thought it was nice figure that one but i never got my ass kicked yet i'm gonna jinx it by saying that but i i did get a little nervous i was like well i'll just buy it back for me bro you don't have to kick my ass we digress ramsey romanin our homie starts out with a high fellas in all caps lock so we knew it was going to be you know worth you know we, we're feeling the love says, love the podcast. Quick life flashing before my eyes story now that it's over. Day one, had a stellar outing with my first pro, and we really got on them. I believe I was sitting in eighth place as a co along with my pro. Really enjoyed the experience the whole day, but things got crazy right before the weigh-in. We were in the main bay just north of the London Bridge Marina area, and the wind came up quick. My pro, 
who will keep the guilty nameless, um, was a great guy. And Ramsey did keep him nameless as well. Uh, had no finesse boat driving skills at all. It sounds like he was Ricky Bobby. It was point A to point B. Straight line experience that reminded me of the 1998 Denver Broncos running uh, game where Hall of Fame running back Terrell Davis would make one cut, stick his foot in the ground, and go north and south. We started hammering waves, full throttle down, no let off, no finesse, not even a turn of the wheel. I could see the white in his knuckles as my life began to flash uh, before my eyes. Definitely mentally thinking about a life insurance policy. First thing to go was the bracket for his movie screens up front on the bow. Bracket came loose off the front and proceeded to walk backwards towards us about three feet until the wires held them in place momentarily. I typically use a coated wire tie to keep my rod socks in check on my poles as a co-angler, so I volunteered it up so he could tie down his grass. And at that point, I thought maybe he would let off the juice a little bit. Not so much. He used the wire tie and decided to tie his grafts to the strap on his trolling motor. Not good, exclamation point. Back to full throttle, hammering waves. I swear I felt my organs moving inside of my body. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, the strap tore from the old treks, and the grafts walked all the way back into my lap. So at least he had a better view of them now. He could really see those movie screens nice. Then the trolling motor deployed when he crashed head on into the next concrete wave. Mm. I attempted to jump up to get my hands on it, trying to help, but I crashed into the front deck like I was Gronkowski and a safety had just taken out my shins. I rolled over from my belly, and when I looked up, I saw all the where the wires were going over the driver's side of the bow, and the trolling motor plus 360 was gone into the depths of Havasu. So, Rob, some of that precious structure you were talking about, there's a little bit more. We should get some GPS coordinates on that. Yes. No kidding. Hatless and completely drenched, and somehow back in my seat, which I don't recall moving at all from the front deck, possibly concussed, I started to pray. The rest of the full-throttled Days of Thunder ride was a blur. I was thankful when we returned to the weigh-in and put our fish on the scales. By far the craziest experience I've had as a co-angler, and he ended up doing good in the derby, got fifth, and had a great time. Uh, and then he goes on to give a lot of props to, to Billy, the, the director over there, and doing a great job with the tournament. Uh, also makes a nice note about if you're a sponge, how much you can learn as a co-angler. And, man, do we echo that sentiment we do all the time. That's the absolute truth. Um, and they want you to catch fish, which is the best part. And we also talk about that, too. You know, that's a, maybe not always the first thought when people think of a, you know, the position of a co-angler that pros want to help you. But it is normally the truth. And this is where the email gets off the rails a little bit. So I'm going to say that he – you know, he tells Rob to put the hammer in his tool belt and go fishing. We all agree with that. And then he wishes tight lines to Josh and all of his future derbies. And, and there's no, come on, man, you don't need to say that. Everyone's already go to his Instagram page. He's got nothing but loyal lovers. And then he says he's going to pray for me. So much needed prayers, man. I, what, a guy. Him. what a guy, dude. Ramsey's next time. If we ever get to enjoy you face to face, I'll buy you a fine craft beer and, and give you a, a bro hug. Cause that was pretty good. What a story. Yeah. That's it's classic. And it's a lot of the things we talked about, right? Like the graphs weren't they, the graphs could handle it. They weren't mounted to handle it. And then the trolling motor <laughs> fell apart. And, uh, 
Even Havasu is not a massive lake, but it's got that current running through it, and the wind blows hard out of the wrong direction. It can get nasty. There's been so many stories of co-anglers, especially at the U.S. Open, you know, uh, t- or, or, you know, whatever, just have, talking about having to hold down a trolling motor that's flopping all over the place. I, I remember Alex if, uh, maybe in 2014 had fished with a dude that ripped his trolling motor off, but it was still connected by the cable, and you don't want to sacrifice your cable, right? So... Uh, or your trolling motor. So he's like, it happened a couple miles from the ramp and he, Alex was trying to lay on the front deck and embrace that down. trolling motor. Mm-hmm. It was already, he was just trying to keep it in the boat. So he was like sitting in the middle of the deck holding with it. The, the cable extended <laughs> to four feet or whatever, and, and just trying to keep it from flipping into the lake. But every time they'd go up and down a wave out, it would be like he was getting body slammed, just like Roman Ugh. talked about there or Ramsey talked about there. So uh, yeah, nasty. So I'm sure the pro appreciated all the help that Ramsey was trying to give him. And you know what? Stuff happens, right? Like it just it is what it oh, is. Yeah. And seems like the pro was pretty cool about it all. And, you know, I guess I just chalk it up to a great story. And there it is. But, yeah, everyone lived. It's all good. Yeah. But all, all can be avoided if you just – you don't have to go that fast. If he would have gone, yeah, yeah, 10 miles an hour instead of 40, dude, it might have been different, right? <laughs> I beg to differ. Ricky Bobby would say, if you ain't first, you're last. And so uh, you got to get there. Obviously, Ricky Bobby didn't race F1. <laughs> <laughs> dude they should oh it's too bad that will ferrell is now like ancient so it wouldn't really be applicable but dude it'd be amazing if well that might it wasn't the guy in talladega nights uh sasha baron cohen didn't he come for like he like came from <laughs> f1 yeah. remember and he's like trying to get him to say that hilly he crepes are better than pancakes <laughs> breaking French, Ricky Bobby's. yeah, yeah trying so to break funny. his arm on the pool table this injury is due to your <laughs> ignorance <laughs> He'd be drinking, t- sipping tea in the middle of the Perrier. race. <laughs> yeah. That's all I can yeah, think that's of. That's a perfect yeah. sponsor for him, yeah. huh? So redneck. When I think of F1, I just think of him and Ricky Bobby. <laughs> that's so, great. so I, after we got that email, I started looking, and he said that was in 2020, right? When yes. That, so if you look on Wanbass, you can get the uh, partner pairings. It was Josh? No. Oh. Do you know who it was? Pro- no, was I don't shit. because it, it only goes back to this year's 2021. Oh, you tried though, huh? Oh, yeah. I tried hard, dude. We I wanted to know who blasted that him was. on the podcast, too. Like, don't be afraid, guys, to no, say stuff because we never would I wouldn't do that. I just wanted to chuckle know. and see who it was. Yeah. Exactly. And I was afraid as I was reading that, the thought went through my head. I was like, well, I hope no one, like, forensically reverse engineers this and then, like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm happy, Rob, that you've already – proven that the guilty will truly remain in you know nameless in this case yes yeah. for sure yeah that's cool <laughs> right on it's funny that you took a peek man uh, <laughs> so hey uh, on the fishing front one other thing that i just wanted to talk about here nick had a list of topics but um we'll probably end up going into them next week which is cool um on the fishing front just because we're still kind of in the middle of it and it's going to be over before you know it i wanted to bring the shad spawn up Nice. It's, it's kind of happening everywhere around the country. I did a, set, a virtual seminar for Bass Pro this past week, and we talked about the shad spawn. And uh, now's the time to get out and do it. Dang, you're everywhere in the country. You know, as those bass, as that spawn starts to fade off, the shad start to do their thing. And it's one of the funnest, one of the funnest times to, to get out there and get on, get on the fish, especially early in the morning. You know, it happens 
in the first hour of daylight, almost every day this time of year, it's very sensitive to weather and stuff like that. Here in the Southwest, we're lucky because like the weather's so consistent. You never get these, these major fronts, rarely get heavy wind blowing in the morning and stuff. So we get to experience it almost every day. Back East, it's a little bit more fickle, but do you guys have, I know Rob, dude, you got some super memorable days fishing the Shad's Pond, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we used to, uh, on, on guide trips, I mean, we would do a lot of it at Saguaro and uh, Roosevelt. And and you're so right, dude. If you're not on the water first thing in the morning, um, you you just miss it. And it, it's so frustrating sometimes guiding because a lot of times your clients don't realize how fickle that is and how quick how quick it's going to happen and you just got to be on your game and casting and doing everything right for that first 30 minutes, you know? Um, Cause that's your window as a guide with clients. Dude, like if you miss that 30 minutes on a four hour trip out here, the next three and a half hours will produce one to three fish on a. In a lot of stuff. cases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. those bass ain't so good. They're full. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so my question to you, Josh, is have you experienced a gizzard shad spawn? Dude, that's funny. I talked about that the other day. Uh, not in Arizona. And I would love to learn more about it and try to exploit that. But yeah, dude, I've hit it a couple times on the Tennessee River. It's it's stunning, dude. Monster fish, I would imagine, yes. right? It's uh it's incredible. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's it's just, you know, it, to eat a gizzard shad, you're talking about a three plus pounder and really probably a four plus pounder and um you know, I found it a couple times on shell bars in, in you know, it, it's hard to find, you know, because these, it's not like they're on the bank, which they probably do spawn on the bank in some places, uh-huh. but uh, on, on the Tennessee river, they spawn on these shallow shell bars. And um, sometimes you have to fish into them. Sometimes you have to get lucky. You know, you, you, you know what kind of stuff they're going to spawn on. And then you just start running it and pray to run into it. And I remember one time I found one because it was, and it was right at t- kind of the tail end of the morning. I saw a couple gizzard shad flip. Um, it was at Kentucky Lake for a tournament in 2015. I saw a couple gizzard shad flip up in like five feet and I'd caught a couple fish there. It was like eight o'clock in the morning. Well, dude, I, the first day of the tournament, I start somewhere else and I have an okay day or whatever. The second day of the tournament, I start there. I started the first day somewhere where I had a big school of fish and it ended up being whatever. But the second day I was like, well, those gizzard chad flipped. I caught a couple of fish there. There might be a gizzard chad spawn. And I started the day there and it was lights out. It was unreal, dude. It was incredible. Yeah, that's uh, cool. But uh, you, you know, uh, it's, the one thing I will say is if, especially for like just a regular thread fin chad spawn is if you get out on the water and you're looking for it, you've got to keep moving, you know, in that first hour of daylight, you've got to keep moving until you find them. Like if you pull up to a bank and it's just not happening, there's no reason to continue fishing down that bank. Sure. You might catch a couple of fish, but it is that one period in that one time of year where like being really impatient could serve you well, because instead of, <clears throat> of, of wasting uh, 30 minutes going down a bank where it's not happening and maybe catching one or two, you might hit five or six spots and not catch anything, but your seventh spot, you might catch 10 in 15 minutes and they could be big ones. So like, yeah, go ahead, Rob. Your window of opportunity is really small, but the opportunity is huge if you land on them. Um, and the other thing that I've always noticed is 
you know, doing guide trips back to back one day you land on them. Um, doesn't mean you're going to catch them in that same spot the next day. I mean, totally. just, it's, it's so fickle, but so incredible when you land on it. So, Rob, when you had those pretty fun mornings and you were throwing that crazy spoon at Pleasant, were those stripers, was that a gizzard chad spawn that they were rocking or were those just fish chasing bait? Like they just had a school. Those were just schooling fish out off the shore. Um, yeah. They just had a a ball of bait corralled and they were just chasing it around. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, my experience with the gizzards there is, I mean, they run in smaller schools. Uh Um, so it just makes it that much more challenging because it's not like a giant school of shad and a giant school of stripers. It's just, a pod here and a pod there, you know. Uh, so it, and you're in a hundred feet of water. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere, <laughs> like an open yeah. ass bay. <laughs> but it's cool. Like when it connects, dude, it was like a saltwater deal. I mean, yeah. it was giant bait and big striper. We're coming so. up on it, right? It's, it's yeah, got to be going yeah. right now. It's hey, got to be so really close. Really you're close. You're gonna need to take to guide us. When did yeah. it stop last year? Do you remember about what month? Uh, last year was June, wasn't it, Rob? June and July, I think we're still doing it. Yeah, it was such a last year was such a blur on timing because we were because um, COVID. It was just weird timing. You didn't know what what month you were in. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty sure it started. It started when it was super hot and lasted quite a while into it. So yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do a trip soon. I love that, dude. Do you remember the day that uh, the three of us got out on Canyon? And Rob had that sweet little shad thing going on. And I, uh, I, well, like always, you know, I'm just the master of assists. And so Josh, didn't I assist you on catching like a, what was that? Like a 16 or an 18 or something like that. Remember I, it I was hilarious. Yeah. Nick broke a uh, fish off. <laughs> Nick broke a fish off on this rock pile. Broke I his line. It, I? And uh, it must've been, I don't remember who caught it. I guess Rob did. It was I like, a, dude, what was it? A seven or something? It was a big seven fish. or eight pounder. It was, it was a big giant. one, dude. Yeah, and it had With- Nick's hook in its mouth. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, the story of my life, right there, man. So close to greatness, and then you guys steal it from me. The irony of that too was Nick had done very little fishing that year. Like <laughs> yeah. it was a Robin and Somebody I were out was every born. day, and uh, it was just another fish for Rob. Like it, he was, he was very happy to catch a big fish like that, but ultimately it was just another fish. It would have meant a lot to Nick having not been on the water in six months. I think you had just had maybe William, maybe someone had was born. one of yeah. your kids or something. And uh, just fishing wasn't happening at that time. So that's that why that fun. fish meant so much to me. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. With, under <laughs> the I circumstances, take, it, it, yeah. Look at if this, I can take the glory away it. from Nick, we're good. <laughs> I know, gosh. But that was a shad spawn, wasn't it? Like I remember. Hardcore. Uh, yeah. yeah they was, were just going bananas. <laughs> dude, that. There was a couple years on Saguaro and Canyon that it was it was the most predictable shad spawn you could ever experience, and Big I don't know fish. if we'll, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. I mean, it was it was ridiculous, and the the size of the fish. I mean, it was. I had one day with a young man. I had no idea this was going to happen, but um, it was a twelve year old kid and his grandpa, and. We went to Saguaro and we literally for four hours caught three to seven pounders. The kid caught two sevens that day. Nice. Um, and there wasn't a moment without our rods loaded up. And it was just mind boggling. So at that next year, the next season, uh, Saguaro went through the golden algae bloom and it, 
it just hurt the fishery immensely. Um, this grandfather calls me up and is like, let's go. We're going to go fish. I'm like, Oh my goodness. We have some, (laughs) we can never fish again after that, man. Right. So, but they were super cool. We ended up going to Bartlett and fishing was really tough and it just, Oh yeah. What a, what a buzz kill after what a buzz kill after that. But still it's like, you know, they understood it was fishing, but, um, yeah, that makes you happy when someone that cool and understanding gets to have a good day like that, that gives you some faith in humanity and the universe that like they deserve that then. Yeah. So that, but I mean, shad spawns are, are are very fickle. What, what type of baits do you like, Josh? What are your, what are your go-to baits? And yeah. So anything that looks like a shad that fits the cover that they're spawning on. Right. So like, when you're looking for the shad spawn, typically, you know, they like, they like rocky banks a lot. They love marinas. They love to spawn on those black floats in the marinas. Uh, what other type of stuff do you, you know, shell, they love to spawn on shell beds and stuff like that, especially the gizzards in that situation. But um, typically rocky banks are going to be, it's, it's easy they're, and they're easiest to look for, right? You can run down the bank and look for, you see two herons on the bank. Okay, let's check this bank out. You don't always see a bird. That's so, a great yeah. point, though. Birds are birds are such a – they point it out to you big time. It's the easiest thing to look for. Yep. And that's right. what I was going to – I don't know for sure. I'm sure you guys do. But shad are like the type of spawners where there's just a group of them like dropping all the necessary ingredients to make the next generation, right? Whereas a bass has a bed – lays an egg and so on and so forth shad just kind of like swim around deposit eggs and sperm and it just happens right like they're not so much bottom related as much as it's like i mean we're talking about rocks but it's not that they're actually physically like down in the rock spawning as much as they're just kind of like swimming around in a big massive origin right what you'll what you'll see along a like a foam dock or a, a a steep wall rock bank you'll see a massive school of shad in basically in a line going up and uh-huh. down the bank, just, up yeah, and down uh-huh. the bank. It's, it's and amazing. Be, yeah. They're just swimming, dude. <laughs> they're just swimming and they'll flick up on the shore. They'll, um, I've actually seen largemouth high and dry on the bank after right. jumping through the shad and lands on the bank, flops back <laughs> in the water and does it again, you know? It's yeah. Like, and, and, and I've seen, so like the bank, that's, those are the easiest ones to find. Uh, I've lucked into a couple shad spawns offshore. I had another one at Toledo Bend one time, dude, where there was a giant grass flat. I think I've talked about this on the podcast. And there was a bald spot in the grass flat, just a hard, hard bottom bare spot. And uh, I had caught like a six pounder the first day of the tournament late on a jerk bait on this bald spot. And I thought it was a blue, uh, the bluegill were spawning on this bald spot, but I hadn't, had a lot to going up until that point. So I started the tournament there the next day and there was a shad spawn and it was one of the most fast and furious big fish mornings I ever had in my life. Uh, Just, just straight up lucked into it. Like that would be a hard one to predict and go find. But um, typically the banks are the easiest way to, to get on them. And and also like, you know, Rob, you will see them. Like Rob said, you'll see the bass chase, but it's not like a surface boil where you're, you're looking, you're running down the lake expecting to see. Pow, 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 pow. You don't see that. Like some of the mornings where you do really catch them, you don't ever even see a bass physically chase. You just fish your bait around the shad and, and whack them. 
So, uh, mm-hmm. and I've had some, also some frustrations where you find a shad spawn and you fish, <clears throat> fish through them and you don't catch any fish. And it's like, where the heck are these fish? You know, those are some lucky shad on that spot. They're yeah. They're just shad terrorized. with no, with, with no bass that have, have found them yet. Yeah. It does happen. Yeah. 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 I love how you say though, the ultimate bait is what, you know, what looks like a shad and works in that type of cover. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, nowadays, um, with all the live fishing that we were able to watch on TV, we were able to watch, you know, the uh, Bass Pro Tour guys, the um, Bassmaster Elite guys, and it it's pretty interesting and in how elevated bass fishermen are going to be countrywide. Wow. I mean, from watching those wow. guys, I mean, the Bassmaster Elite tournament, they just fished on Neely Henry, and you know, they were throwing buzz baits and swim baits or uh, swim jigs, and just the different water levels, the different baits they were using. And it, it it's pretty interesting to be able to see that firsthand. Even fewer secrets now, right? Dude. Like the guy who's crushing it in the derby has a camera on him and everyone's watching how he did it. Yeah, that's... He doesn't only have a camera on him. He has a camera on his bait for eight hours. <laughs> sure. Like, think about yeah. that. I mean, it's... Yeah. Um, if it's you're local much. and you're seeing it go down on your favorite stuff, you're shaking your head. Yeah, dude, you got a pit in your stomach for the next. You, you know, it's never going to be the same. Dude, no. On your spots. no, you know, it's that is it, and that's it's cool and it's 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 cool because it's it's helping people learn and giving more people opportunity oh, yeah. and it's also it's tough for the dude that spent his life figuring that out. Figure it's just gone in a heartbeat like that. But yeah, it's just it's elevating everybody's game to a, a whole different level and you're gonna you're just gonna see the you know the top end tournament guy it's just gonna be harder and harder you know to that's just it to achieve that but i guess in a good way it's just making everybody better um and what's what's impressive to me is um you know in the late 80s 90s even into the two, early 2000s um i think the tournament weights are so much greater today than they were back then uh, and a lot of that's equipment and overall just people's knowledge i think so you can just measure the progress of the sport right it's pretty cool yeah. that like you know like but nothing stays static not only the progress of the sport but the the quality of the fisheries are they've uh, maintained you know that is cool that is cool yeah. for sure catch a lot of fish leash, man yeah, a lot Thank of fish God. have holes in their mouth, but but they're still biting. So. Havasu is a great example of that. I mean, those fish, it's you know, it gets pretty well pressured. And we were just talking about that earlier in the podcast. But like, you catch a lot of fish that have call tag marks, and, and yeah. you know, and, and the bed fish, they're all swimming around with a bruise in their mouth, you know, and you yeah. feel for them. But at least they're still swimming, dude, and they're still in the water and reproducing so tough badass fish and all that's going to do is like as evolution continues the next generation will probably be like stronger and stronger to the point where they're like little terminators swimming maybe they already are little terminators it is cool i remember jay yellis used to always say like i don't know if it was the 80s or 90s but he was one of the top dogs dude you know in his prime and he was always like 10 pounds a day all year long gets you angler of the year Yep. Now 10 pounds a day all year long gets you sent home with zero money and embarrassment. Very low bank That's, account. It's so true. So true. Uh, well, hey, uh, another fun episode, guys. Um, it's We're a little over an hour in, and I've got a bunch of errands I've got to run. I've got an appointment to get an oil change this morning in my truck here in 45 minutes, so I'll probably have to uh, cut this one off right here. But um, anything Real else? Real quick. 
Yeah. Real quick, Josh, where are you off to and what tournament's next? Yeah, so thanks, man. It's the third stop, stage three of the Bass Pro Tour for Major League Fishing. It's on the Harris chain, so I'll be driving tomorrow. Thank God that gas shortage seems yeah. to be lifting or at least is looking to be better in a few days because by the time you get there yeah, yeah. I, I hope so man i'm i'm leaving here tomorrow which is saturday and i'll be driving saturday sunday monday pre-fist starts uh i think wednesday and the tournament starts <clears throat> friday so i'm fishing group a if anyone wants to tune in we'll be on the harris chain and it, it should be some really good fishing it those lakes there are very few major major tournaments that are held in florida kind of in the summer but the locals know how good it is. And if you look at local tournament weights and just do some research, like they blast them there in May and June. So I'm excited to go, even though it's going to be hot. Cool. Good luck. Yeah, See you for you, brother. Thank you. And uh, yep, thanks to the listeners as always. Thanks for you two for jumping on for another week. And uh, we will talk to you all next week.